Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Before we roll the audio on this PFT Live podcast, we want you to know that Mike Florio does an afternoon podcast. Why? To catch all the late-breaking news and developing stories in the NFL, of course. So you got to subscribe to PFT PM as well. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Art19, or Google Play. Search PFT PM and subscribe. Boom. Done. Thanks for the support. Now, stats for another hour of the PFT Live podcast. It's a Thursday edition of Pro Football Talk Live, NBC Sports Radio, heading over to NBCSN. In an hour from now, Sims, four straight work days. Hopefully he can handle it. Hopefully. Heading to Scouting Combine next week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Looking forward to that. Four hours live on NBCSN each of those three days. More work, same pay. That's fine. It's not work. You know, before I get to this concept of more work, same pay in the NFL, although it will be more pay, more work, more pay. Remember in The Hangover, when they steal Mike Tyson's tiger? I remember thinking, even though it was a movie, I remember thinking, you know, tiger's got to be pretty damn expensive. And why would you spend that much money? on something that may eat you, right? Why would you do that? For some reason, I was thinking of that last night during the Democratic debate. That's all I have to say. That's the end of my political conversation for today. The National Football League, and this was funny to me. This was funny because everybody's always looking for something to report. So much competition. It becomes a feeding frenzy, especially when it begins to think, or we all begin to think that there is something big coming. We all jump in and try to add something to the story, right? And there's been a sense over the past several days, and we had a flurry of items over the weekend regarding 
items that will be in the new CBA if and when it's approved. And there's been this sense, and we've been talking about it, that it's more when than if. And yesterday afternoon, Mike Silver of the NFL kind of, you know, pushed the pedal a little bit closer to the metal by saying that the owners had been summoned to New York for a CBA meeting, creating this impression that it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. So the mandate for everyone else, and I know how this goes, producers and editors start hitting up the quote-unquote insiders to say, well, what else you got? What else you got? We got to have something here. We can't just be sitting here with a thumb up our butt. We got to have something. And boom, out of the blue last night, hey, Shefty, all right, how about that? Oh, whoa, very impressive. Well done, Shefty. Reporting that the new CBA likely will include expanded playoffs. Playoffs? 14 teams instead of 12 teams. Well, that is new information to me. Thank you. You you win, Shefty. You have one-upped everybody else who's been reporting on this. The only problem is he has been reported this the day of the Super Bowl. <laughs> it just It's so funny how... Like on a day when everyone is in information overload because it's Super Bowl Sunday and everyone's trying to empty the the notebook with anything they have because it's Super Bowl Sunday. It's the last opportunity to have a Sunday splash that there was so much stuff jammed into one item that was posted by ESPN on Super Bowl Sunday with the Chris Mortensen and Adam Schefter byline that no one noticed. That there it was. They didn't see. This is where, like, this is one of the challenges of editors, producers. You take the information that the insider brings, and you figure out what's the most significant aspect of it. And the headline was that the NFLPA is going to vote on a 17-game season. But as you scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll, the story eventually hits a bunch of bullet points, and. Bullet point one, two, three, four. That's how far down it's buried. One sentence. The 2020 season also would likely include an extra playoff game, pending the owner's approval at the annual league meeting in March. Well, there it is. There it was. And this isn't something I found last night. It's something that I had planned to write about on Super Bowl Sunday, but never got around to it because it's significant. That should have been the headline of the story. We'd known 17 games as part of this. We didn't know that expanded playoffs would be part of this. And we knew it February 2nd if we paid attention to it. And last night, and look, I, I don't know what happened, but I suspect that that after Silver reported what he did and after several days of others reporting that the momentum is pointing toward it, it was time to take it next level. And they took it next level by pulling an item from the bottom rung of something that was reported two and a half weeks ago. Hey, man, well done. It's a nuance that very few are going to care about or understand, but I thought it was kind of funny. So to the real point, do we want 14 playoff teams instead of 12? You know what? It doesn't matter what we want. It doesn't matter. They're still going to give us more. And we're going to take it. What are we going to say? Well, I'm not watching the postseason. Oh, there will now be six games, wild card weekend instead of four. I can't handle that. I don't know where they're going to put them all, right? I'm all for more cheese on a pizza in a pizza. Put it in the crust. Attach little cheese balls around the outer edge of the rim. 
Top them with cheese, bake some cheese on that, put a little cheese at the bottom of the crust baked into it. I mean, you can find more cheese. Just take a block of cheese the size of a car battery and drop it in the middle. I had a pizza like that not that long ago. The burrata, they take the burrata ball and they just drop that son of a bean right in the middle of the pizza. Eventually, it's just going to be a giant block of pizza that, or giant block, screwed it up, giant block of cheese that you gnaw your way into, and in the middle of it somewhere, there's going to be pizza crust. That's what it's going to be. That's what football's going to be. They're a long way from that, though. It doesn't matter whether we want 14 teams or 12 teams. It doesn't matter. And here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. With 14 teams, the only teams that get a bye will be the number one seed in each conference, making it easier for those teams to get to the Super Bowl. And I know the Ravens lost in the divisional round this week, but if you get past the divisional round, you will have played one playoff game, while the number two seed, if the number two seed manages to win, will have played two playoff games. And after five or six years of the one seed predominantly making it to the Super Bowl, because that's the problem with this. I don't mind more football. What I mind is having this sense of a foregone conclusion hovering over the entire postseason that the one seed from each conference is going to be the Super Bowl team. After five years of that, there will be fans and people in the media, like me, who will be saying, because I'm already saying it, just go ahead and get rid of all the buys. Make the one seeds play as well. Why not? What's this half measure? Just move it to 16. And half the teams get in. Fine. I've seen all sorts of hot takes on this. Oh, it's going to save jobs. Like, coaches who otherwise would have been fired end up not being fired. I don't know about that, per se. But hey, you got to the playoffs. You got there. What, what what will the new mandate be? You must at least be the sixth seed? Well, we don't care that you got to the playoffs. You were the seventh seed. And this year, if the expanded playoffs were in place, the Chiefs would have had to play an extra game. The Chiefs would have faced the Steelers in the wild card round at home, and the Packers would have hosted the Rams. And I posted that last night. I said, hey, before you complain about this, consider those would have been the games. And a lot of people are like, all oh, those games would have stunk. Would they have? Would they have stunk? Is it a foregone conclusion the Chiefs would have handled the Steelers? Do we really think the Packers would have run rough shop, as Sims would say, over the Rams? Do we really think that? I mean, any given Sunday, baby. And in the case of an extra postseason game, any given Saturday or Sunday or Monday night. See, I think what's going to happen is with six games wildcard weekend, there will be... See, I don't know how you do this because they've got away from... The, and, and next year, they're, on wildcard weekend, they're, they're going to move all of the games later. They're going to start like 4 o'clock, 8 o'clock. And, and I, I guess what you, you, what you do is 4 o'clock, 8 o'clock Eastern time on Saturday, 1 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 12.30... 4 o'clock, 8 o'clock, something like that on sat on Sunday, and then the last game is Monday night. But the problem is the, the team that wins on Monday night had better not play until the following Sunday because you're already looking at a short week. You guarantee that that team will be in the 
in the final spot. So you can't lock in the divisional round matchups, the hosting of the divisional round, like you do week 17 now. You've got to wait and see. But hey, for enough money, they'll do it. And I really do think that like 17 games is a stopover to 18 games in the regular season. 14 playoff teams is the next step towards 16. And then the next time there's a CBA conversation, the next time there are TV rights to be sold, part of what can be sold is more cheese in, on, and around the pizza. Now, let me tell you where all of this stands. Well, maybe we can do that. We got more time to talk about the CBA. After the break, I'll tell you where it all stands. Let me say a little bit more about this concept of expanding the postseason. Because, look, if if the games aren't good, if the two seed kicks the crap out of the seventh seed on a regular basis, it, you know, people are going to be like, well, 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 why? Why are we doing this, right? And, and the problem is, once you cross the bridge, you can't go back. It's not like they're going to do this for six or seven years and say, yeah, you know, these extra games, the two versus seven, it's just not, it's not happening. They're not going to do that. They're not going to restrict, that's for sure. And one thing that may happen, and I hope it doesn't, they could expand the league from 32 teams to more, and then that makes it easier to go to 16. If you got 34 or 36 teams and 16 are making the playoffs, then it's easier to justify. I don't know how they feel about half of the league making it to the postseason. That always feels like too much. Half of the entire league makes it, half doesn't. Posted a poll on Twitter right before the show. 3,000 votes so far. Let me refresh because the numbers can jump quickly. It's about 3,200 votes. How many playoff teams do you want per conference? Six, seven, or eight? It's that simple. Six is winning in a dramatic landslide with 62%. Seven, 17.8%. Eight has more votes than seven, 20.2%. And that's kind of the way I... I kind of like it the way it is, but it doesn't matter what we think. And if we're going to expand it, let's just make it eight. Let's make the one seed play wild card weekend. Because really, at that point, it's not about whether or not the eighth seed has a snowball's chance in hell of beating the one seed. It's about forcing the one seed to spend the week preparing for a game playing a game, exposing players to injury, exposing players to fatigue. So there isn't a competitive advantage for the one seed, an even greater competitive advantage for the one seed than what they already get by getting the bye. That's it. That's it. And I think eight teams per conference is the culmination of a process that's been in place for 30 years. It was 1990 when they expanded the postseason field from five to six and you could argue that this is the culmination of a process that began when they expanded from four to five in the late 70s early 80s i remember the first year they did that i remember william andrews playing for the falcons i think maybe against the eagles i got to check that out the first year they went from four to five i'm going to check my recollection via the official chris mad dog russo record and fact book and tell you after the break the first year they went from four to five and i'm also going to tell you the decision 
that the NFL Players Association is facing and the options that will be on the table for how this plays out as the NFL and the NFLPA seemingly get closer and closer to a new collective bargaining agreement. We'll do all that when PFT Live continues right after this. 21 minutes after the hour's Pro Football Talk Live Thursday edition. There was supposed to be a meeting today of the NFL Players Association Executive Committee and Board of Player Representatives. Remember, the formula goes like this. The Executive Committee must recommend the proposed CBA to the Board of Player Reps, and the Executive Committee is ready to do that. The Board of Player Reps, 32 of them, one per team, must vote by a two-thirds supermajority. I love that word. One of my favorite words, supermajority. Not just a majority, a supermajority, two-thirds to advance the measure to the rank and file for a simple majority vote, 50% plus one of roughly 1,900 dues-paying members of the union. The challenge is getting two-thirds of the board of player representatives on board. That's where the fight has been. That's where the, the effort to get the board of player representatives to understand what happens if you don't do a deal. Here's what happens if you don't do a deal. What happens is, more likely than not, if they don't do a deal before the start of the new league year, or more accurately, before the NFL negotiates new TV broadcast deals, if you don't do it by then, it's not happening until next year, after the CBA expires at the conclusion of the 2020 season, and technically it expires at the start of the new league year in 2021. So, at that point, when the contract expires, three things can happen. One, the owners can lock out the players. And the goal there is to basically force the players to say uncle and get a deal done. And then you have a new contract. Once after feeling the various economic and other pressures of being locked out, the players say, okay, we'll do a deal. Uncle. The other option is the players eventually go out on strike. Working without a contract, the most recent rules carry over. Players say, we're going to exercise our leverage, our pressure. And we're walking off until you say, uncle. And we've been down that road before. That doesn't work for professional football players. It doesn't work. And let's just accept it. It's not a test of their manhood. It just doesn't work. Guys want to play football. They want to get paid to play football. And they don't have other significant sources of income like owners do, where that can subsidize the the lack of the football money. But there's another option that we need to keep in mind this time around. Because this time around, I think what may happen isn't a lockout and definitely isn't a strike. The other primary option is that once the two sides reach an impasse, under federal labor law, the owners can implement their last best offer prior to the impasse. And the concern is that by August of 2021, 
the last best offer won't be as good as the offer that's currently on the table. As we discussed earlier in the week, I think on PFTOT, and I wrote about it at ProFootballTalk.com, if they don't do these new TV deals, or if they do the new TV deals without labor peace, and they get less than they would get with labor peace, because I think the NFL is going to go ahead and do the TV deals with or without a new CBA. They'll just take less. That less is coming out of the pockets of the players. That less is going to be reflected in the last best offer that gets unilaterally implemented under federal labor law by the owners when they reach an impasse with the players. And here's why the players need to be concerned about that. Separate and apart from how much money they will or won't get under the rules that are implemented by the owners. What if the owners go ahead and implement an 18-game regular season as part of the last best offer? There are owners who still want 18 games. Jerry Jones, I'm told, still wants 18 games. I mean, if they're going to do this, if they're going to dare the players to strike, dare them big. Because that's what it becomes. Hey, guys, okay, we don't have a deal. We're implementing our last best offer. Here it is. Either show up for work or don't. We double dog dare. We triple dog dare. We're skipping over the triple dare. We're going straight to the triple dog dare. Now, maybe at some point they will, but the thing is, if they do, it's not going to last. We've seen it in 1987. We saw it. We saw it. Because they go on strike, and there are thousands of other guys who will gladly cross the picket line to play football, and then guys who are part of the union will cross the picket line, and it all will collapse. So, another reason to just go ahead and get the deal done now. When will some of these quarterback deals get done? A very curious exercise in timing is coming for the NFL. We'll talk about that next on PFT Live. Thirty-four minutes after the hour, Thursday edition of Pro Football Talk Live. Quarterback frenzy coming. You know, I paused because there was another thing I wanted to say about the debate last night. And this is not a political observation at all. It's just a fascinating exercise in human dynamics. Remember what brought down Jerry Richardson in Carolina? Remember that? What brought him down? Anyone? Bueller? What brought him down was the decision of multiple people who had signed NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, to breach those and speak publicly, or at least off the record, anonymously. I don't think anybody ever actually put their name to it. But people who had signed non-disclosure agreements as part of a settlement agreement of a lawsuit that was either filed or threatened, and those folks blabbed, and down went Jerry Richardson. And that concept last night may very well have been the stake to the heart of the Mike Bloomberg campaign. And what's strange about it is, and I practiced law for 18 years, this is so common. The NDA is a very, very, very common aspect of any type of settlement agreement 
arising from an employment dispute. The only time you can't do it is when there are public entities involved and the settlement ultimately is subject to disclosure under the various public records laws that every state has, where if somebody sends in a request and uses the magic words, they can get access to that because it's public money, public function, public, etc. Other than that, it's part of what you're paying for. It's a standard term. It's not something that is nefarious on its face. It's standard. Okay, we'll settle the case for X, and here are the other terms we want. And the first term, inevitably, is confidentiality. And what are you going to say? No, I want to have the right to hold a press conference. I want to have the right to sit down with Katie Couric. I want to have the right to write an op-ed for the Washington Post about what you did to me. I mean, for most of these, we're talking about matters that are not going to move the needle of the national discourse. So, yeah, what the hell? I just want the money. I just want this to be done. I, I'm. This is my form of justice. It's not a greed thing. It's the, it's the justice. That's how you, there, justice comes in many, many shapes and sizes. And the act of forcing the person that you believe has wronged you to write a check, sometimes a significant check, that's your justice. And if part of your justice is you can't tell anyone about it, and you can't tell people the specifics of the things that you claim happened to you, then then that it's a small price to pay to get the much bigger price. And that, so that's, it's so common. It's so common. But the problem is, if you, you know, uh, you got to hold up under questioning, Henry. That's the problem. When the issue came up last night, all of a sudden, Mike Bloomberg adopts the demeanor of a guy who, uh, you know, was caught with his hand in the cookie jar. He didn't know what to say. I mean, it was a stop the fight moment. It really was. And I don't know what you do say in that setting. Other than this is a very common technique in American business, period. That's what Jerry Richardson sort of said. This is very common. This is what happens. Somebody files a claim, you resolve it, and you include an NDA. And I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong. It's just incredibly common. We act like it's this special thing that's only used to cover up sinister acts. No, it's done all the time. All right. They're telling me to move on. <laughs> this is a football show after all. But I just feel like that, you know, for something like that. And again, it's, an, it's not a political commentary. I have a feeling this is going to keep coming up again and again and again. And the people who, who benefit from the NDA need to be able to tell a better story you know, they're pressing the guy to say, will you release the people who are subject to the NDA? And he's like, well, these are signed agreements. We're going to live with them. That's not how it works. No, this is a very common aspect of American business. This is very common, folks. Let's not make this into something it isn't. These people up here on the debate stage with me are smart enough to know what this is. Businesses get sued or they get threatened with litigation. They settle it and they get as part of the release of rights the peace that they buy includes not just peace from the civil justice system, but peace from the broader court of public opinion. That's simple. All right. Now, peace is anything but the word as the planets align for the coming quarterback carousel. And something that 
I was wondering about and got confirmation from the league yesterday as it relates to Cam Newton, because we've talked about this whole Cam Newton conundrum. If you're going to trade for Cam Newton, you can't just do the deal March 18th subject to him passing a physical, and then you bring him to your facility out in L.A., not the Rams, but the Chargers, and you start poking and prodding around his shoulder or his ankle or his foot or his shoulder or his ankle or his foot, and you come to the conclusion, well, this guy's just not healthy. Okay, trade nullified and now it's march 20 and you move on to plan b but the problem is plan b is already signed with the buccaneers so you move on to plan c plan c is already signed with the colts you move on to plan d plan you get the point timing is going to be critical here you better have your ducks in a row because by the time you start trying to get your ducks in a row the ducks are going to be gone that's why the tampering is already happening that's why the offers are already being made. That's why the conversations are already occurring. That's why Tom Brady is in a position to even entertain the possibility of doing a vanity tour. And it's not even a tour. It's a vanity stay at home. And they all line up to come see you. He knows there's going to be interest. But the thing is, interest now versus interest as of March 18 is very different. What teams are in position to wait for Tom Brady to make up his mind? I mean, if you're the Buccaneers and you've decided, Jameis Winston, see you later. Take your 30 interceptions and get the hell out of here. I'm still amazed that that's not the franchise record, that Vinny Testaverde had 35 in 1988. I assume Sims never had more than that. I'm not going to look that up. I'm just going to give him the benefit of the doubt there. But if you do that and you're the Buccaneers and you decide you're all in for Tom Brady and you go kiss the ring and or the butt of Tom Brady wherever he's going to have his parade of interested teams and you go through the motions and you make the offer and you make yourself think that you actually have a chance because Don Yee made you think that you actually have a chance. And, you know, here's the thing. They're going to be lying to these teams because they want maximum interest and maximum leverage. And some of them may say, go ahead, I'll take the chance that you're lying to me. I just want Tom Brady. So the Bucks go through the process and Bruce Arian shows up with a rum and coke, the drink he drinks when he's not drinking, and he starts saying, no risk it, no biscuit, and come on, baby, let's have some fun, and I'll we'll have some, you know, I'm an old man too, you know, whatever he says when he does his thing where he charms everybody, and I love Bruce Arians. He goes through the motions, Tom Brady sits there, listens to all of it, and says, well, I'll get back to you guys in a couple days. And they find out March 22 that Tom Brady is going somewhere else, wherever that may be. What the hell do the Buccaneers do then? Who's left? And this is part of the power play that Tom Brady may be able to exercise on the entire structure of free agency. Not only are they going to be lining up to see him, they're going to be foregoing consciously other opportunities at the quarterback position for the chance for the whisper of a possibility of getting Tom Brady. Is that not astounding? Now, I don't know how many are going to actually do it. That's the thing. It's very easy to tell Don Yee now or next week when it reaches a crescendo at the scouting combine, yeah, we're interested in your guy. It's another thing when Don Yee says, all right, here's how it's going to go. On March 18 at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, Tom Brady will meet with this team. At 8 p.m. Eastern, 
He will meet with that team the following morning at 10 a.m. Eastern because he's got to have his workout and avocado ice cream before he gets to work screening these teams. He'll meet with that team at 4 p.m. He'll meet with his, you know, once that happens, you're going to be like, oh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, Don, you understand how this works. We got to know what the hell your guy's going to do because we need a quarterback and we don't have one. We can't wait for your guy to tell us that he's coming here and then he doesn't. And I got nobody. Because by then, Jameis Winston signed somewhere else. So, you know, I was trying to think of the teams that really are in position to do it. The Raiders are the team I keep coming back to. Because they got Derek Carr. And it's like $2 million or so of his salary that's fully guaranteed for 2020. Big deal. Trade him, cut him, whatever. You're not going to be paying that money. Somebody else is going to pay him at least 2 to $3 million to be a backup. At least. But the Raiders are one of the teams that can go through these motions. Sure, fine, yes, absolutely. And if it gets out, it gets out. They've already made it clear time and again that they're looking to upgrade at every position they can. Back in January, GM Mike Mayock said it's Darwinian, which kind of impressed me. Football is Darwinian. You're always looking for better options at every position. So much for football is family. No, football ain't family. Football is, we love you as long as you're the best available option. And we will be loyal to you as long as you're the best available option. When we find a better available option, we will be loyal to that available option until we find the next best available option. But the Raiders can do it. The Raiders are one of the teams. Chargers, can the Chargers do it? Maybe that's why they're talking up Tyrod Taylor. Because if they're going to swing for the fences with Tom Brady and Tom Brady decides to go to another team, then you got Tyrod Taylor. And then you got the draft, too. That's that's the ultimate fallback, is the draft. Dolphins. Dolphins reportedly aren't going to be... What was the word? There was some very carefully crafted phrase. They're not expected to aggressively pursue or something like that, but they still pursue. Dolphins could get into it. Because they got Fitz. They got Fitz Magic, and they're keeping Josh Rosen around, and they're probably going to draft someone if they wouldn't get Tom Brady. And I can't tell whether or not they want Tom Brady, but what if Tom Brady wants them? That changes everything. It's one thing to say, do you want Tom Brady? Well, I don't know. Tom Brady wants you. Well, okay then. (laughs) Decision made. Right? And then you got uh, the 49ers. Should Should I go? I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. Because here's the thing. For years, they've been using the device in their contracts where they have until April 1 before they have to make a decision because the next round of guaranteed money doesn't vest until April 1. So for Jimmy Garoppolo, he's got his last chunk of fully guaranteed money that vests April 1. It's like $15 million and change. It's enough that if they keep him past April 1, they're keeping him for the season. What he's due to make for the for the year is is significantly more than fifteen million and change. But once you're all in for fifteen million, you're likely keeping the guy. April one is an eternity when you're talking about the NFL offseason. March eighteen, league year begins. You could, if you want to, get into the whole Tom Brady thing, and your fallback is we'll keep Jimmy G. I'm just saying. 
The 49ers are one of the teams that can afford to press pause on their offseason while they go genuflect at the altar of Tom Brady, although altar may be a little strong. I think there'll be a throne involved when he invites the teams in to come kiss the ring and or the butt of Tom Brady. We're going to take a break. When we return, Lane Kiffin telling all the stories from years ago. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, there, there's a point for mentioning it now, even though Al Davis definitely can't rebut Lane Kiffin's argument that Kiffin wanted Calvin Johnson and Al Davis wanted Jamarcus Russell back in 2007. More PFT Live right after this. 53 minutes after the hour, Thursday edition Pro Football Talk Live. It will be on NBCSN in just a matter of minutes, seven to be exact, maybe 6.30 by now, as I continue to waste time in the final segment of the hour instead of getting to the point. Get to the point, dumbass. Lane Kiffin recently made it clear yet again, he was on with Dan Levitard, that in the 2007 draft, Lane Kiffin was sure that taking Jamarcus Russell first overall was going to be a mistake. But Al Davis, who passed away in 2011, was insistent on it based upon Russell's performance in the Sugar Bowl. This is nothing against Jamarcus, Kiffin said. It was midnight the night before the draft. I said, we're going to pay this guy $63 million and he's not ready for it. I said, I wouldn't be ready for it at 21. He's not ready for that and hasn't played very much. Mr. Davis is obsessed with the Sugar Bowl game when he beat Notre Dame. He watched that game on TV, so he was just obsessed with that. Kiffin wanted Calvin Johnson. I said, Calvin Johnson is the best receiver I've seen ever. The guy is going to be one of the best ever, but he was just set in his mind, and obviously it was his franchise, so that's the direction he went. Okay, fine. Now, look, I, it's not like Al Davis can correct the record. Here's the reality, though. And based upon the quotes I'm seeing, I didn't listen to the interview yesterday, but it sounds like there was a sense of resignation from Lane Kiffin, and there should be. Owners have far more influence over who gets drafted than, than we realize. Now, in Dallas, we know the owner has significant influence over who gets drafted because the owner is also the GM. But in these other cities where the owner is just the owner, the owner has plenty of influence over who gets drafted. Trust me. Trust me on that. It's happened time and again. Remember the whole Johnny Manziel thing in Cleveland? That was a Jimmy Haslam pick. And even if Jimmy Haslam never says, take Johnny Manziel... If you are smart and if you choose to remain employed in Cleveland, which has been, you know, kind of an uphill climb for key employees there in recent years, you pay attention to the signals that the boss is giving out. I remember using this example six years ago after Johnny Manziel was picked and Jimmy Haslam insisted that he had nothing to do with it, right? You walk through the door. There's a bowl of candy at the reception desk. They're all Kit Kats. Jimmy Haslam multi-billionaire who may be out of touch with what candy the common folk eat, decides he's going to have himself a Kit Kat. And he eats it. And he says, I really like that Kit Kat. It's kind of like Steinbrenner with the calzone. I really like that Kit Kat. That's a great candy. I really like that. So then you know what happens? He never has to say, put Kit Kats everywhere. They put Kit Kats everywhere. That's the billionaire's privilege. See, that's the next level. When you have that kind of money that you can be surrounded by so many people who are there just to please you, the only downside is when you actually get into an environment where people may come after you, you have no idea what to do. And I may or may not be referring to the debate last night. I may or may not be referring to that look of the deer in the headlights. Wait, these people are supposed to be uh, picking up my lunch. (laughs) No, that's not how it works. 
But it's how it works when you're a billionaire and you want something and you want it without having to ask for it. Then you have plausible deniability. I never I never told them to draft Johnny Manziel. No, but you spent the last four months raving about the guy. 2007. I remember hearing in the aftermath of that draft. No, 2008. When the Falcons took Matt Ryan. I remember hearing that the regime down there, new regime at the time, new coach, new GM, they wanted to take Glenn Dorsey. Remember Glenn Dorsey ended up being the fifth overall pick, I believe, that year. They didn't want to take a quarterback. Well, the guy who signs the checks wanted to take the quarterback. And it worked out. Oh, boy, did it work out. Third overall, Matt Ryan went to the Atlanta Falcons, and that was an owner prerogative type of a pick. Those happen. the Unless the owner is not going to be involved at all in any of the meetings, any of the discussion, because part... Look, if you're smart, you are looking for the clues and the signals. Who do we think the owner wants? And it's actually better if the owner is just direct about it. Then you know. And you, you got to do it because the owner owns a team. It's one of the fascinating aspects of the NFL. All those people who are working for a team that understand how to run a team. And then you have an owner that's just pretty much clueless. But the owner wants what the owner wants. I want to keep going, but I have to take a break. We'll be back with more PFT Live right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.